Well, good morning. Uh, as we start out today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those times when you just had nothing to say? I mean, nothing to say, and you were just stuck. Maybe it's you're a teacher, and you're having to figure out yet another way to do a creative Zoom online lesson about fractions, and you've run out of creative, clever analogies to do it. Or, or maybe it's that you are a uh, parent, and your kids come and they ask you one of those really awkward questions and you're trying to figure out how to come up with an age-appropriate response. Or they see something on the news and now you have to try to explain what is a neck hold, for example. And you sit there and you realize, I'm not sure I know what to say. And you just kind of freeze. Or maybe you're a pastor and you're trying to write another sermon and you get stuck and you feel like you have nothing to say. And now I know, I know you're all sitting there listening going, yeah, but Lars, pastors always have something more to say. And maybe if you just wanna get really abstract and heady and give background, that's easy enough. Where it gets hard is that sometimes you run out of those, those good stories, the inspiring ones, you know? the ones that connect, the ones that bring it home, the ones that make you laugh and they make you cry and they leave the audience in tears. Life lately has not been full of a lot of inspiring stories. The news is not full of inspiring stories. We're struggling for some inspiring stories in our world. And life has been more, at least for me, it's been, you, been a game of back and forth, like Groundhog Day every day. You start at home, you get in the car, you drive to work, you come back, and you come home and you sit and you look around at the house full of all these fix-it projects that you decide, nah, I'll get to them later when the boys are older and nothing will get smashed. And you wake up again and you repeat it. And you do this week after week, month after month, it's just the same. Because all those normal fun activities that you would do might involve people. And you can't do most of them. And at some point, you find yourself sitting there, having to come up with something creative, and you, you, you stare down, you take out your pen, you stare down at your notepad, and, and I still like to use a pen and that ancient instrument called a notepad sometimes. And you sit to come up with something inspiring to say, and you got nothing. Nothing comes to you. And what does come is not terribly inspiring. Last week, I was on vacation. Uh, I was up in Colorado enjoying the cool air, uh, enjoying the fact that I could go outside in the middle of the day and actively do things in the middle of the day, outside. Uh, it was beautiful. But one night, one night while I'm sitting there at home, uh, sitting there watching a movie, and I get this, this text message on my phone. It was from a good friend of mine here in town. And he wanted to tell me that a good friend of ours had just died. And I get that text a lot as a pastor. This is part of what you do. I've seen people die. I get messages about people dying. It's part of life. It's part of ministry. 
But usually when I get that text, they're not 30 years old. The message said that our good friend Kyle, a guy we both knew, who was originally from New Jersey, he had traveled back there for his brother's funeral. And while he was there, he ran into this high school classmate. And his high school classmate now owns one of those storefront gyms. And it's, the, it's in the old downtown part of this New Jersey town. So it's one of those small storefronts, but it comes right up to the sidewalk. And his friend was converting it into a gym, but obviously not running it as a gym now. So he said, Kyle, you know, while you're in town, could you paint a mural for him? Paint a mural on the wall. Kyle loved to paint. And now Kyle, if you know him, really loved to paint. And he would travel back and forth across the country and he would do odd jobs and he'd land in Tucson for a while and catch up with people. Uh, he was very fit, used to lift a lot of stuff, doing lots of moving jobs. Here's a picture of him, we'll put it on the screen. In my backyard, in my backyard, at an event, painting boards. Uh, and he never posed straight. He was one of those guys that was just always fun to be around. And he just lived to make things beautiful, to make people happy, to travel the country and just spread the love. It was a little hippie-ish. Here's a little video of him spray painting shirts like tie-dye. He would fold them up and spray paint them. They came out really cool. He had this knack for taking kind of any old piece of junk and making it beautiful. One of the things he used to do when he was here in Tucson is he would go to the local raves, you know, those underground club events, those underground disco parties, and they'd have all the blaring lights and the music everywhere, and they would invite him to come to the raves and throw up a canvas and paint these kind of swirly, psychedelic things that he would paint while people were dancing and added to the effect, I guess. Uh, and then they'd start conversations with him and they'd start talking to him. And what would he do? He'd get to know him and then on Thursday bring him over to Open Space Church. He was the only one I ever know who did rave evangelism. So all these young men and a lot of young women would appear on Thursday nights at Open Space because of Kyle and these are people who never ever graced the door of a church otherwise. And he said he liked us because it was the first church he could go to and really be himself and really be comfortable. And so this was all a shock to me when I asked my friend, what happened to Kyle? How did Kyle die? Apparently, he was there in this storefront gym, just spray painting away around 12.30 a.m. because he keeps those kind of hours. He's not an early riser guy. And, and somebody in town saw him through the glass, big glass picture windows of the storefront at 12.30 in the morning, somehow felt threatened and called the local town police. Because, you know, nothing spells the end of the town like somebody painting a mural indoors in a gym. Now, what happens next is a little bit fuzzy. The official story, the official story that's told by the two cops who arrived, 
is that they went into the gym all nice and professional and Kyle just spontaneously for no reason at all with no provocation at all just spontaneously went crazy that was our words he went crazy and threw himself out the picture window head first and smashed his head on the concrete of the sidewalk outside and bled to death for no apparent reason he just went crazy and the cops then came out and as what we do know from witnesses is that they stood there for a few moments and looked at him before they decided to pick up their walkie-talkies and call it in. Now, that's all we know for sure. Now, nobody who's ever met Kyle believes this story for a second. That he just spontaneously went crazy and did a dive out a storefront window onto a concrete sidewalk. He had no history of violence, mental illness, suicidal ideation. I'd never seen him be anything but happy, even when things weren't going well for him. He never did anything like that. No one who knew him believes the official story for a second. Everything really points to a much darker chain of events that led to a guy who did nothing but bring beauty and joy to the world end up dying on a sidewalk. And so I'm sitting there on my vacation and I get this text. And I had to get up from the movie, I had to run over to the bathroom, I'm fighting back the tears. Because yeah, you know, as a pastor, you hear about tragedies and you see people die. But this one, this one got to me. I may be a pastor, but in that moment I had no words to say. It was like life was sucked out. All the hopes and dreams of the moment, they just felt like nothing. And I was angry, of course, because I don't believe that he just spontaneously jumped out that window. I don't believe it either. And as a pastor, I know I'm supposed to have something inspiring and meaningful to sh say to show that it was all somehow part of a greater purpose or part of a plan or there's going to be a silver lining or there's some great meaning to this all. But I couldn't. I couldn't see any. All I saw was injustice and tragedy. I don't have anything meaningful to say. Definitely not inspiring. These times can sap you of things to say. They can drain you of answers. I imagine it's a little like being that teacher, having come up with yet another lesson plan. Or the parent who has to find yet another day of entertainment for a kid who's locked in the house and you can't take him to grandma's and you can't take him to the friend's house and you can't go to the splash pad and you just got to keep him inside in the heat for another day and what do I do? I mean, I've had moments in the past few months try to sit down and I'm not even sure I know what to pray for anymore. 
I know I'm supposed to be the expert about all this, but it was easy to pray when you thought you knew what you were supposed to pray for. When you thought that the world was consistent and predictable enough that you could play, pray for this or that plan to happen. You could pray for this or that goal to be achieved. You know, you, you, could, you, you knew what the disease was and you knew what to pray for. I pray for a vaccine, make no mistake about that. But this is where you just have to let go of all of it and give it over to God. Sometimes you don't need to have the right words. Sometimes maybe the plans we had were our plans, not God's plans. And that all those things I was praying for were really my desires, not God's desires. And maybe I need to unlearn some of that. Maybe I just need to try to quit knowing what to pray for and turn to God for guidance and let the Spirit in. Romans 8, starting at verse 26 here, it says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that what you do when you run out of things to say? You sigh. Sometimes it's when you're frustrated. Somebody doesn't do what they were supposed to do and your project isn't working or things aren't working out well and you see, what, what, you see kind of the mess in front of you and you go, <sighs> it's the sound we use when there aren't good words. It's how God speaks to us. In those times when words fall short, when the pretense of knowing what to say is gone, and we've run out of answers. In those times, what do you do? You just sit down and you sigh. <sighs> and you know when you're sighing what you're really doing? You're breathing out. You're expelling air. In the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for spirit is also the word for breath and air. Spirit, breath, air. It's like when you're sighing, you're letting out the frustration, and you're letting out that sense of powerlessness and breathing out your answers and your certainty and your need to be in control and you just breathe it all out and you make room for the Holy Spirit to breathe in in sighs too deep for words you feel it, you hear it, you know it when it happens 
But you won't have good words for it when the Spirit comes. It'll be a moment of emptiness when God fills you up because God is all you've got left. The world has given you nothing. Sometimes it's God saying that you've been working so hard and trying so hard and planning so hard and pushing yourself so hard and it's all been done to belay your own fears and anxieties. And I get it, there's a lot of anxieties going around right now. And God is telling you that it's been doing your plan and that you've been doing your plan and asking God to bless it. And maybe you need to just sit down and breathe out your plans and your efforts and sit there and breathe the Spirit in. Maybe the answer isn't running harder, but to stop and breathe and let the Holy Spirit in. And the Spirit will show you what to pray for. The Spirit that knows your mind and that knows God's plans for you will speak to you when you can't speak at all. Tragedy and exhaustion, they do this to us because they teach us our limits. They teach us the limits of our powers, the limits of our planning, the limits of our strength. They teach us exactly how much we can handle because they always push us beyond that. And when the only answer that's left is not more work, but to stop. I mean, even mice have to get off the treadmill at some point. We're all hitting our limits right now. Prayer, prayer is not a professional skill. It's not like ballet or welding, where you can practice it over and over and know that you're getting better. Where we know what, good, what is good and what is bad, and we know what works and we can measure the results. You know, we can see the weld and say, man, I better buff that thing some more. And he's like, Bill, if you're a, are you a buffer or a welder? And you realize he's right. You got to do another weld. But we know what a good weld looks like. Prayer isn't like that. If you do it more and more, you get more comfortable yourself. But you can't really be an expert. You can only be open. You can't learn. You can only unlearn. You can't control, you can only give up control. You can't speak beyond a certain point. At some point, <coughs> you have to listen. <coughs> you can only give up and let go and breathe in the Spirit of God. Because sometimes it's when you run out of things to say that you can finally hear the voice of God speaking to you. Amen.